The reading comes from Matthew chapter 1. It's the one with all the names. So forgive me if I don't say them the way you do. <laughs> the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. <clears throat> Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eliezer. Eliezer, the father of Matham. Matham, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. But thank you, Melanie. That was, that was beautifully read. Um, probably not everybody's favorite passage, to be honest, but it was beautifully read. Um, so my name is James. Um, I've worshipped at SML for about 20 years. It's been a real source of blessing to um, me and my family, and, and we, we, we love being part of this fellowship. And uh, occasionally I get asked to speak, and this morning is one of those occasions. And um, I'm aware that this is quite an unusual service. We don't normally meet at 10 o'clock. And so um, for all that are here this morning, let me say you're, you're really welcome and I hope that this is a, a, a useful 
meaningful part of your day. Um, so I got asked to speak, I think it may be two and a half months ago, and um, when I got this opportunity, I said yes straight away, and what was on my mind was pivot points. I don't know whether you're like this, but sometimes I start to think about something and I look for it in my Bible and I um, explore it in my prayer reflections and it becomes something that um, is significant to me. And pivot points was becoming very significant. Pivot points is a changing point. Malcolm Gladwell talked about tipping points in a very uh, much liked book that was published about 15 years ago, I think. Um, a, a place where things change, where things that were down become up and things that were up become down. But change takes place, a change of direction takes place at, at a pivot point. And maybe we can consider a seesaw as a really um, helpful and uh, example of a pivot point. So we, we have a seesaw, goes up and down. Now, um, the plank, let's imagine the plank um, in biblical terms is 4,000 years of history. That's a long plank, isn't it? 4,000 years. That's, that's almost one and a half million days. It's a long plank. And where is a pivot point in that plank? Well, if it's 4,000 years, it has to be about 2,000 years ago. And um, 2,000 years ago, we have the birth of Jesus. And then within the life of Jesus, which is 30 years, which is not a lot within 4,000 years, but within Jesus' 30 years, we have three days. And we have this meal because of those three days. And we're told to do this often because those three days are the most important three days in the history of the world. I've only mentioned 4,000 years, which is small in the history of the world. But in terms of the God story, the God story through Abraham became, uh, started to be told 4,000 years ago. So that's why I've got this 4,000 year long plank. And the pivot point is those three days in history, those days of death and resurrection that we remember here, where everything changes. The history of the world changes at that pivot point. And so I thought, yes, Andy, thank you for the opportunity to speak at Christmas. I would love to speak about pivot points. And um, we'll, we will get to pivot points at, at one stage um, in this talk. When I was first starting to do talks, um, somebody gave me this advice. Tell them what you're going to tell them, then tell them, then tell them what you've told them. And I think I've just told you what I'm going to tell you, and now we'll get onto the mi middle bit. So slide one. Christmas time is a time for telling family stories. Um, and that's one of the things that uh, 
will happen for most of us this Christmas. Um, people love to recall um, other people they've known in the past or events or experiences that have happened in the past and um, important things and they tell stories about those things. And uh, some of us have heard those stories many, many Christmases and we'll hear them again this Christmas. And um, some of the stories are funny and some of the stories are, are sad and some of the stories are, are serious. Um, but all of those stories are important in some way or other because they've shaped people's lives. They had a big shaping effect on the people who were directly involved in the story, but actually for others of us, many, many years on, we're still experiencing the consequences or outcomes of those stories. And so hearing those stories helps us to understand something of our family history and of how that history has been a shaper in our lives. And um, when, it, when it comes to Christmas, the most important story of all time is the story of Jesus' birth. Because that's the story that leads to the life lived by Jesus. God living on earth. And God dying for us through Jesus. And whilst we refer to uh, the story of Jesus' birth as the Christmas story. I'm not sure that's completely accurate or completely helpful. I would rather call it the Christmas chapter of the God story. That's how Matthew saw it, I think, because he told us that family tree. And it kind of, after going through 42 generations, he's now saying at the beginning, I'm going to tell you the Jesus chapter. We've got to the Jesus chapter. I don't know how many of you are big readers, but you will know that not all chapters have the same weight, do they? You read a book and then suddenly you get one chapter. It's like a pivot chapter. Everything changes when you read that chapter. You've got new understanding, new insight. You've perhaps been introduced to a new character. So um, let's start exploring um, the story of Jesus. So when telling a story, you have to make a decision about where to begin. So perhaps I could have slide two, please. So where to begin? Where we, ha we have four records of the life of Jesus in our Bibles, the beginning of the what we call the New Testament. And uh, those four stories, um, the, the writers of those stories, gospel writers, uh, begin in different places. But they all ask themselves the same question, where should I begin writing the story? Well, Mark says the beginning of the news, good news about Jesus starts with John the Baptist in the wilderness baptizing people in the Jordan and he says that's a really important event because that's the event 
that connects people with the prophecy in Isaiah that talks about the coming of Messiah. So that's where I'm going to begin the story. Because when you look at the story of Jesus, it's about his identity that you need to understand. And that helps us to understand something of the identity of Jesus. Luke, that's one of the other gospel writers, declares that he's committed to, to putting together an orderly account. There's this person called Theophilus. Um, Theophilus is a, a God-lover, uh, an important official, and Luke wants to put together a very clear uh, writing of the record of the um, story of Jesus. And he says, having considered everything, um, he wants to start the account of Jesus a little bit earlier than Mark, he wants to go to the birth of John the Baptist. He thinks that's the place where he should start. And then we have another gospel writer, John. And John says, I really don't know where to begin. But I think if you're going to understand the story of Jesus, you need to have a, a cosmic outlook. Before you start understanding Jesus' life on earth, you need to understand Jesus' life in heaven. You need to understand that everything that you can see, that everything that you can touch, is there because of Jesus. So that, that's where he wants to under, start the story. He wants us to um, have that cosmic um, dimension to our understanding. And then we get Matthew, the, the, the fourth account of the life of Jesus. And he wants to begin with the family tree. He wants to list 42 generations of Israelite history. He wants to list the history between Abraham, the next 42 generations that leads to the birth of Jesus. And many of us struggle with that. Melanie didn't struggle with it at all this morning. She read it beautifully. Um, but it's a long list of strange names. And we can easily start to feel disconnected um, with the story before the story has begun. I don't know whether you've ever felt like that when you start to read Matthew's Gospel, but I know some others certainly have felt that. So... Um, at the next slide, please. What, what did Matthew have in mind when he begins his version of the Jesus story with such a, a lengthy genealogy? So to understand Matthew's approach, we need to recognize how Jesus fits into the God story. So the God story um, is a story of potential impossibilities. If you're somebody who's interested in potential, sounds like a, a good thing to be interested in. If you're interested in possibilities, and we all like in our life to think about the possibilities that might exist for 2024, for tomorrow, for our, our, our jobs, for our lives, for our families. So if you're interested in potential and possibilities, 
The Bible's a good book to read because it's about those things. And at the heart of that story about potential and possibilities is the very broken relationship that exists between God and humanity. And it's a story of how that brokenness can be restored, how wholeness can come into being. Now, the God story is an emergent story. Really important to, to, to understand this. It's not something that emerges in five minutes. It's not something that emerges in five days. It's not something that emerges in five weeks. It's not something that emerges in five years. It's not something that emerges in 50 years or 500 years. Matthew tells us that it's a story that emerges over 2,000 years, 2,000 years. So we get bits of the story added to other bits of the story over a period of 2,000 years. And so if you read the Old Testament and you think this story appears a bit fractured, it, it's a story that appears a bit confusing, well, I get that completely. That's the nature of the story. It's emerging. The things that are confusing and partial and incomplete are being added to. They're emergent. So it's like the pieces of a giant jigsaw puzzle. Some people at Christmas might be doing giant jigsaw puzzles, I guess. Family, good family thing to do. And you hold two pieces side by side, and you say, does this piece fit with this piece? And you say, well, that's sky and that's sea. They don't fit together. Or that's sky and that looks like an edge of a cloud, so they might fit together. And looking at our Old Testaments is a bit like that. Um, and as we get more and more bits of the story, as more and more is revealed over 2,000 years, um, over the 42 generations, we've got more of a chance of piecing things together. And uh, as time passes, the Israelite people who are receiving all of these stories, uh, receiving all of this revelation, they start to boldly conclude what God is like and how he wants people to live a life of faith on earth in a way that pleases the God of heaven. So, um, the 42 generations. There are some names that Melanie read out for us that do not feature in the Old Testament. They're listed, they're part of the family, but seemingly... Um, there wasn't a, a particular contribution, there wasn't a particular revelation that um, needed to be recorded around their lives. But there are others, such as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David, even uh, Solomon, Uzziah, Zerubbabel, who have prominent contributions. 
And through each of the characters and their part in the God story, we can explore life's most important questions. So these 42 generations of people allow us to explore the most important questions about life. What is God like? Let's look at their lives, let's look at their experiences, let's look at their interactions, and we can know something of what God is like. What does a purposeful life look like? The Bible looks to answer that question. It's a really important question. What does a purposeful life look like? And how can we get close to God and live a life of faith in a way that pleases him? That's a really important question. Now, those aren't the only questions that um, are answered through the God story, but those are certainly three questions that we keep revisiting. The questions about what God is like, the purposeful life question, and the life of faith question. So the story of 42 generations leads us towards God, but the story of Jesus changes everything. The 42 generations leads us towards, but Jesus changes everything. It's like a seesaw moment in history. It's like a pivot point in history. So if we could have slide four, please. So it, up until the, the, the birth of Jesus, the, the story consisted of God speaking to many people in many ways. That's what it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 1. So God spoke through prophets. God spoke through priests. God spoke through the Spirit. God spoke through angelic beings. Um, but that collectively resulted in a story being somewhat fractured, somewhat partial, somewhat confusing. And uh, this begins to change dramatically with the Christmas chapter of the God story. And in the early part of uh, John's gospel, John writes about Christmas uh, with these words. So this is John's Christmas story. God became flesh and made his home amongst us. That's John 1 verse 14. Through Jesus, everything we're celebrating at Christmas, God comes to make earth his home for a while and lives alongside us. In the language of the Bible, it says that God came and tented amongst us. Well, in modern day language, we could translate it differently. We could say that God came and semi-detached amongst us. That God came and terraced amongst us. That God came to live next door. God came so that we would know that we would know that God knows what life is like on earth through experience. 
not in a hypothetical, distant way, but as an experience. Jesus lives next door. We can knock the door and ask for bread. We can knock the door and have a conversation. Can you see the pivot point, the transformation that's taking place? We have 42 generations of people trying to understand how through all of this brokenness between God and humanity, we can get close together again. And then suddenly, suddenly, because of Jesus, he lives next door. He speaks directly. He literally touches lives. Literally touches lives. Allowing people to have that uninterrupted relationship with God. If you want to know what God wants for you this Christmas, then it's an uninterrupted relationship. That's what God wants for you this Christmas. He wants an uninterrupted relationship between himself and yourself. The fractured, the partial, the somewhat confusing nature of the God's the early part of the God story, we gather through the 42 generations of the Matthew's genealogy, can now be understood in a new way, in a new light. So using the jigsaw analogy, Jesus is the lid of the jigsaw puzzle. And if you're doing a jigsaw puzzle this Christmas, or if you've ever done a jigsaw puzzle, then you'll know that holding the piece against the picture on the lid allows you to make sense of where that piece might fit. And so suddenly, when we look at what we call the old part, the Old Testament part of our Bibles, we have the light of Jesus shining into this now. We have the lid of the jigsaw puzzle, and we can read it in a more accurate way. However we think about God, human nature, a life of faith fits together, um, comes together because of that understanding. It's a pivot point. And when we um, think about what Jesus did, one of the best illustrations I can come up with is a seesaw. Have you ever seen a picture, this is still slide four, of a seesaw where you have two unevenly sized people, often in some kind of cartoon, I guess, where there is somebody who's just stuck up in the air and because of the load on the other end of the seesaw, they haven't got a possibility of changing the dynamic of that situation. They haven't got a chance of pivoting it in their favor. Well, in many ways, you can read the gospel and you can say, this is God's seesaw story. This is a story about how God pivot, pivots life in our favor. When it comes to a relationship with God, it pivots in our favor not because there are so many loads against that, but because Jesus is sat on our end of the seesaw. Um, in one sense, as believers, our lives are an extension of Matthew's genealogy. So when you tell family stories this Christmas, I think it's unlikely that you'll go back to one of those 42 characters. But in one sense, they are part of our family history 
And we are part of the God's story, history of God's story here on earth. We are part of the genealogy. We're part of the story of encountering Jesus in a way that completely can change our view of, of God. <clears throat> it's as if the seesaw of our lives pivots. So rather from seeing ourselves burdened down and overloaded with God's judgment weighing us down completely, we are suddenly lifted up and we can see ourselves as children of God, people who are loved by Jesus. And suddenly that sense of being burdened pivots to being understand, our understanding of being a child of God. Or, or it might be that sometimes we think we're irrelevant and that we don't matter. Uh, that happens a lot in life, you know. It's easy to feel that we're ignored or people are not interested in us. Um, and that can be quite a load. But when we get a correct understanding of God, um, he, we see that he's interested in us. He's interested in the detail of our life. He's interested in our thoughts and our feelings that we're experiencing at this moment in time. He's interested in um, what's going on in our lives. And that our lives pivot because of that. And um, I've already said about the ultimate pivot point. The three days in which we see the greatest sacrifice and the greatest victory. The sacrifice, the death of Jesus, the finest expression of love this world has ever seen. The finest expression of love this world has ever seen in all of its history was for you and me. You know, if, you, if you're there saying, I, I'm not loved, then you've not understood the story. Because that's the story. That is the, the, the real story of Jesus, that you are loved, loved so much to such an extent. And the greatest victory, that the, the promise of a new life, a life without sadness, a life without tears, a life without loss, a life without that fear of death. Those are the two things that pivot that way because of Jesus. And at Christmas we remember that the most important chapter of God's story and the most important chapter of our story starts with the birth of his son. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you um, for those 42 generations and the stories that they had um, as they encountered you and experienced you in their lives. We pray, Lord, that our lives will be a living story of the difference that Jesus makes. In Jesus' name.